Sunshine and raindrops out there. And it was closed, so there was a big electronic road sign right there at the on ramp of 4th Street that said bridge closed for painting or whatever. And I took it out. I, I came out pretty good. Uh, it's just a broken femur and a few stitches <laughs> on my face, but. Dude, broken uh, femur is pretty fucking bad, man. That's that's a, that's a major bone, dude. <laughs> yeah, like, compared to my passenger, uh, uh, it was yeah. nothing. Uh, they were able to fix me up, but but they wanted to take his legs. Couldn't save him. You're listening to season three of the Punk Theology podcast. That's right. This is episode fourteen. The Punk Theology. Easter special. One of my oldest friends on this planet, Dean G, stops by to record Meth and Resurrection. Here's some punk stuff from Humor Humor. Hey, pull up a web browser and stop by and see us. It's quarantine time. Might as well. Punktheology.net. Stop on by. Dean Gentry, catching up with my old friend Dean. You're an amazing guy. You're one of my friends who, you know, listeners to the show know that I have a a bit of a checkered past and a kind of a recovery story. Hopefully, a redemption story. Right? Time will tell. And you're you're one of my friends from from back in the day. That's uh, not dead or in jail, which. Uh, <laughs> which I, I enjoy in your in your stories is fascinating, man. So introducing well, I, the I've, uh, been to jail. I, I've been to jail. It's not there now, <laughs> right? <laughs> you and me both. Uh, so yeah, Dean Gentry, welcome to uh, the Punk Theology Podcast from ha- Hawaii, the Big Island, right? Big Island, yeah, Kailua Kona. How are how are things in quarantine on on Hawaii? Has it been the huge outbreak thing? It's been here yet, or yeah, yeah, they definitely want us to stay home. Yeah, uh, limit our time at the doctors or or grocery stores or wherever we go, and uh, limiting limiting it to you know, one person at a time. The lines instead of at the cash register are now outside waiting to get in. Wow. Because they're only allowing so many people in the store at a time. Well, a lot less than what they used to, you know, so they monitor that. Yeah. Social distancing. They're doing that here, too. Even Costco had, like, a guards out front just letting in, you know, counting people, and it's pretty fascinating. It's It's weird. It's starting to get better here, though. Like, because people have been social distancing and all that, we're not we're not as bad as some other states. Like, toilet paper is appearing on the shelves again, which is a good thing, you know. And food, you know, meat and stuff. I mean, my wife and I went to the grocery store a couple weeks ago. All the meat was cleared out by like three o'clock. Just nothing. Yeah, yeah, you too. It's wild how how the whole hoarding thing is happening. 
I never, I never got worried about the whole toilet paper thing. I got, yeah. I got half a closet full of old work shirts that could have <laughs> <laughs> just fine. There you go. Just That's... start wearing papers. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Be very environmentally conscious of you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so. How we know each other, man. I think you and I met at, what, 14, 15 years old, something like that. I moved back from Alaska. I didn't really fit in with the in crowd. I think my mom tried to take me to, like, youth group at church or something like that. It just didn't work out. <laughs> Those were the kids that would pick on me, you know, at school and stuff and kind of fell in with the misfits, right? With you guys. You felt at home with... Uh, with you and the gang down there, we were the uh, Seven Lakes, right? Just kind of terrorizing the Seven Lakes area, I suppose, as teenagers. Oh, boy, did we ever. That was, what, 1984, 85, something like that, right, in the beginning? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah, you and I both got into, I think our paths kind of strayed away from each other, and and we both got into some pretty hard drugs and and hard living. Um, I wanted to, to start with something that you mentioned, uh, going through a divorce. I remember, you know, we, we were friends for a lot of years, and... Sheila, my wife, babysat your kids for a little while. Remember that? And yeah. You guys, uh, you and Sheila were married. You had three girls at the time, right? Yep, yep, three girls. No, uh, uh, two girls and a boy. Two girls Je and a boy. Jesse was the middle boy at the time, and then uh, uh, Stacy, the youngest daughter you never met, I don't think. Yeah. She's the she's the third girl, huh? The third girl, yeah, nice. yeah. Tried for two boys and kept striking out, so that kind of put an end to that. So after the the divorce, is that when things kind of went off the rails for you, or? Oh, for sure, yeah, yep. Divorce was the beginning of the end. Yeah. You know, as teenagers, as teenagers, you know, experimented with coke and crack a little bit but it wasn't it wasn't it was addicting for the two three four days partying you know the little binge or whatever but i was always able to to walk away from it and get back to society and and do what i had to do for job and raising family or whatever but it, you know it was only like one two times maybe out of a year that i'd ever you know, go that route once I got married. So it was pretty recreational until uh, until yeah, it wasn't, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, definitely was able to function on it. So was it a kind of coping mechanism after the divorce or just going through the the shit? And, and well, the, the whole the divorce itself sucked. You know, at first I thought that's what I wanted. So, you know... Uh, the wife was, she was the one that kind of like, let's get divorced and this and that. And I just like, fine, whatever, you know, time to move on. Next chapter, I don't care. Then she left and she didn't, 
she didn't pursue the kids, so I ended up with custody of the kids. Okay. Which, you know, and that that's when I realized that, holy crap, stay-at-home mom was way harder than me having to go out go out and work during the day. Right. You know, stay-at-home stay mom, man, that was the... I'd go work. Once I had custody of the kids, I'd go to work and come home and be the mother-father with the kids and... Yeah, man, it's a 24-hour gig, right? Yeah, sure was. Sure was, but my sister helped out a lot. Yeah. She watched them and got them off to school and stuff during the day. I'd have to get up and be gone for work, and you know, she'd be there to help them get ready and get them off to school and stuff. So when did things start to go uh, to where it was uncontrollable, you know? I always use the analogy of my chemical romances, you know, the band. Like, there's a there's a certain romance that comes with using a drug like, you know, like meth, for example. When did that start, and how did that start to snowball on you? It took a while. Yeah. You know, before, you know, I, I stayed strong for the longest time. And then, I don't know, I guess it all began... It was uh, uh, Mother's Day weekend, 1997. Uh, I decided to let the kids' mom have her kids for the Mother's Day weekend. And then, you know, just being, you know, cooped up with the kids 24-7 all this time and stuff, I figured, you know, I'm going to go out and let loose. Yeah. Did some coke and... You know, some heavy drinking, and you know, you know, when oh, you're yeah. on coke, you can drink a hell of a lot. <laughs> yeah, you're awake and drunk. Awake and drunk, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you just keep you, you got the ability to keep going. And yeah, it was Saturday's night, night before Mother's Day, and uh, uh, you know, a whole day of drinking. You know, I, I ended up with a 2.8 alcohol in my blood. The doctors pulled out of me after a horrendous car crash and woke up in the hospital. So how did the, back up a second, the car crash. So that happened. Uh... We were we were drinking like a couple miles from my house. You and a friend, right? Me and a friend, yes. Couple, Just a couple of miles from my house. And uh, we both worked in North Everett. We were working at Boeing at the time. Yeah, it was a night shift job. And they ended up giving us a couple of days off for Mother's Day weekend. So we were out partying, and, and we had to be back to work Sunday night. But Saturday night, after a whole day of drinking, decided instead of going to my house, we were going to go to his house in North Everett. Uh, be closer to work so we can sleep a little bit, wake up, and just, you know, be right there to work. Made it all the way to Marysville. Right there is the freeway, bends to the left on the 4th Street overpass. We just went straight. Car was in cruise control, which <clears throat> cruise control is only for, you know, acceleration. It's not for navigating. Right. <laughs> It's not autopilot, Dean, right? Yeah, yeah. I never had I never had autopilot before, so you know, I was kind of <laughs> new to that whole deal. 
Yeah. I don't know. Trying making fun out of something so horrible. I don't know if that's right or not, but yeah, it's... there's one of those big electronic road. They're doing. They're painting the bridge there. The not what not sure what highway that is. It goes into North Everett, but they're painting the bridge, and it was closed. So there's a big electronic road sign right there at the on ramp of Fourth Street that said bridge closed for painting or whatever and i took it out twenty seven thousand dollar road sign wow the big light up road sign on the yeah. side of the road wow and the car was pretty uh pretty mangled injuries oh yeah yeah i i came out pretty good uh it's just a broken femur and a few stitches <laughs> on my face but Dude, broken femur is pretty fucking bad, man. That's that's a, that's a major bone, dude. <laughs> yeah, compared to my passenger, uh, uh, it was yeah. nothing. He he took the brunt of the, the impact. The engine compartment came through his side, oh, landed man. on his everything from his pelvis down is broke. Oh man, how long was he in the hospital? You know, I'm not sure exactly, because I ended up being court ordered to to not communicate with him no more. Yeah. But you know, through the grapevine and stuff, uh, uh, a long time. But they they took us to Everett, Providence, and uh, uh, they were able to fix me up. But but they wanted to take his legs, oh, so wow. they couldn't save him. But I was unconscious the whole time until, you know, a little bit of waking up through the whole procedure and everything. But he, I guess, was conscious the whole time. And uh, he was like, screw you. You're not taking my legs off. You don't have the technology. Send me somewhere where they do. Mm -hmm. So they, they flew him to Harborview, and he's walking today. Wow. So, so luckily, he was, he was conscious the whole time. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. We wake up without legs, that would not be good. Dang. Yeah. So you guys still friends? Um, Acquaintances? We ended up reaching out to each other after the court proceedings and, you know, after a few years, but then we lost contact. And just recently I've been, I, I located him down in Huntington Beach where he, he is originally from. And I reached out to him. I haven't heard no reply back yet. Hmm. But he ended, he, he's doing good. He's doing good. He ended up, the state gave him a whole bunch of money for unfair victims comp or something. So he ended up with a whole bunch of money to make things, life easier. Yeah. I guess. So 96 days in work release. So you said... Uh you said crap, and and that added more time, or? Yeah, because uh, one of their many rules was absolutely no swearing. Yeah. And uh, I had my back to, like, one of the walkways to go into the kitchen. That's where they had the phones all lined up. And I was talking to my sister, and she was just saying, telling me how she just bought this house, and, and the inspector, inspector failed to crawl underneath the house or something, and and uh, I was like, well, that's a bunch of crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. 
just as the lady was walking by, she was like, hang up that phone. I was like, what? Wow. No, I don't think so. So it was a little bit more than just saying crap. Right. But I was like, what the heck? You know, I said crap. Yeah. That's the, you she can even like, say that on television, like, right? What's that? You yeah, can even say yeah, that on exactly. television. Yeah. And then uh, on top of that, she was like, she was like, okay, you got kitchen rubbish can duty. You know, they're just disgusting at the, after meal time, <laughs> and, and that that duty entailed taking them out and uh, hosing them all out and making them all nice and clean. And she was like, I want to be able to eat out of that thing. And I was like. Wow. Can I just go buy you some new ones? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, she didn't like she didn't like me at all for the rest of my time. It's weird how some people get a weird like you know power trip thing. You know, people in authority and cops and and some folks. You know, the prisons here. Geez, geez here in Everett the other night there was a uh, like a riot because of COVID nineteen. Like some of the some of the staff had caught it and gone home and like three of the inmates had caught it and so yeah the inmates were freaking out and there was almost i guess they subdued him really quickly but yeah it was almost a a huge thing and it would just take a little you know you don't have to be an asshole to everyone right like you gotta be, i better be able to eat out of this garbage can like fuck you you know like you wonder why there's riots in prison and it's like they're human beings for crying out loud yeah, pushing their weight around. You see it everywhere. Yeah, it's an ego thing. I think it's part built in us, you know. It's fucking monkey brain ego shit just trying to, you know, whether it's the yin or the yang, you know, in the Asian philosophy or in, in you know, Western kind of Christian philosophy, it's the flesh and the spirit, which... You know, they 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 would point to sex, right? Like, oh, the flesh, the sins of the flesh, and you automatically think <laughs> sex. And it's not. It's your fucking ego. It's your monkey brain. Uh, 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 this shit, you know. Pound my chest. I'm in control. You're gonna submit to me, motherfucker. Like that's what it is, you know. And it's built. It's built in all of us. And when we let it take over, just all sorts of horrible <laughs> bullshit happens, you know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, man. That's uh. So so after that, uh, you you didn't use anymore, right? Uh, just the just the pain pills that they gave me from the hospital. Yeah. Morph, morphine pills. So you decided to to move to Hawaii. Like, what what was that process like? Once the doctors took me off the morphine, I started doing. A lot more coke, a lot more crack. Yeah, crack especially. Crack was, crack was fun. Not gonna lie. Yeah, a lot of good times. So I thought, you know. Right. Yeah. At the time, you know that that eventually leaded to to what do we call it time a uh, uh, crank. Um, it's like snorting fiberglass, right? Oh my god! <laughs> when I cry, we called it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was horrible, but you know, the, the pain went away eventually. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was all right. Here we go. You know, eventually I got tired of having that shit falling out of my nose in public and stuff. So I learned to start smoking crack. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, smoking the meth. Yeah, because you know, 
it didn't leave no traces under your nose and it I should back up. When I when I was snorting it, I was good to go. I could function in society, so I thought, you know, but yeah. uh, uh, it was definitely easier to function in society, but once I started smoking it, I was you know, it was all over. You know, I was it's a lot done. more addictive. A lot more addicting, you know. You oh, yeah, don't last was, as long and Oh, there was a lot. I'm not gonna lie. There was a lot of fun times higher than shit on drugs. Yeah. But you know, dude, man. Not only was I destroying myself, I was destroying my family. Yeah. Absolutely. And friends, everybody that you know. When I was high, they weren't friends no more. They're just fiends. Fiends without the R. And I used to, I called them that before that stupid cartoon came out, Friends Without the R. You know, I, <laughs> right. I came up with that first. Yeah. I was, I was, I was surrounded by fiends. They were, they weren't friends. They were fiends. Yeah. I, I met a guy uh, who works in recovery with uh, people addicted to meth in Seattle. And, and that's, a, that's a big one, you know. He said he, he had a guy in his office who was like, you know, I thought these guys were my friends. And as soon as, uh, as, soon as I, you know, passed out drunk, they stole everything I owned. <laughs> He's like, yeah, well, they're meth addicts, man. Like, yeah. that's, that's what happens. They're not really your friends, dude, you know. And you learn that after a while. Um, yeah, I remember being passed out at a drug house and having some some creepy dude going through my pockets. I got PTSD from that shit, you know, just passing out in somebody's house I didn't know and then having, yeah, having somebody going through my freaking pockets and clothes and looking for dope or money, you know? It was like just waking up like that was just horrific. And, uh... Yeah, that whole life. I ran into this drug dealer. I'm not. I don't remember where I met him, but I just met him. I mean, we were only acquaintances for maybe a week or two. And he was like, "Yeah, I know where to score." So he he took me to this place way the hell out in Lacan or somewhere. Never been down this road, miles and miles long. Never, no idea where the hell I was. We come to this little trailer with two guys in there, higher than hell, with meth. I don't know what I did or said to piss him off, but he was like, you know what? I could take you out back and bury your ass. Nobody ever find you. Take your car. Right. Wow. That was was scary shit, but it still wasn't the eye awakener that I needed. Yeah. Yeah, rock bottom is something that a lot of addicts talk about, and and I get it, like, I get the language, but part of me is like, you know, it's not a bus, like, you don't just wait for it to show up and maybe my life will change, you know, some people, like, wait for that shit, like, it's, like, it's a... Some some truck is gonna run them over, and <laughs> like that's not really. You got to make a decision. You got to do you know, kind of like you did. You got to do something really rash and and uh, and something to really interrupt your your pattern, right? Up there on Fire Trail Hill, <clears throat> at my sister's, there was I was so close to death so many times. Driving so close. 
electrocutions, a tree, you know, how I survived any of that as high as I was, I, I do not know. It was horrible. After the car wreck, I ended up having to move in with my sister. She had to take care of me. And, uh, uh, and the kids? Uh, no, no, I lost the kids. The kids went to their mom. Yeah. Kids went to their mom, and then, of course, she had to go on state assistance. Mm-hmm. So then they eventually came after me and wanted $1,200 a month for child support. And then the car wreck, I was court-ordered to pay for all the damages, which was astronomical. Right. And the interest alone was 1200 so that's what the judge wanted me to pay. So, you know, that's $2,400 a month. That's, that's exactly what I brought home. Was twenty four hundred dollars a month, right? Jeez. So it was like you know what? Screw this. It was enough. You know, I was contemplating suicide and shit. You know, it was the the, the meth was taking me out. It was it was either die or get change. the hell out. Yeah, change I, something. I was trying and trying to get off of that shit, but. Uh, the neighbor across the street, he cooked it. The guy next door had connections. The guy 30 minute, thirty seconds down the street had connections. The the connections were just, just all around me. Yeah. So it was impossible. One day, one day, you know, it was, I was talking to a friend in San Diego, and uh, he says, dude, okay, you know, that's that's crazy talk. Just come down here. You know, and he was a drug addict. <laughs> what, the, what the hell? I don't, you know, I don't, California sucks. I don't want to go to California. <laughs> so he was, he was telling me a story about how he had an uncle that was working in Kailua, Kona. He, he, his uncle was from Seattle, but he was just over here putting a roof on a house. And he was like, my uncle's been trying to get me to go to Kona to help him with this roof. I could hook you up. I said, all right, shoot. Shoot, yeah, that means, okay. Right. (laughs) So he said, said, here's his phone number. So I called called him up. He said, okay, well, let me know when you land in Kona. That's all he had to say. He didn't, you know, no small talk, whatever. Right. Okay, fine. Call me when you get to the airport. (laughs) Wow. So that's what I told Lisa, my sister. I was like, because she wanted to put me in rehab. Yeah. You know, rehab, yeah, that's crap. And expensive. And expensive, and there was no money for that, but she was willing to pay for it, but it was just a matter of, you know, it's crap. I, you know, I got myself into that shit. I had to get myself out. So I was like, you know, I contemplated, I'd never even been on an airplane and only lived in Snohomish County and Skagit County, never been out of the county really never been on a plane and it's like it took me a couple of weeks contemplating but eventually i went to her and said you know enough is enough you know uh uh can you buy me a one-way ticket you know i got i'm out of here so she did she gave me 27 dollars the last of her money bought me a one-way ticket and uh uh 37 years of shit that i had accumulated i just walked away from and cleared you know, I came here with 50 pounds of suitcase. 
some tools, photo albums of my kids and, and my past, and, you know, that was it. Yeah. Left everything. Wow. It was time. Never looked back. And you've been off the, the dope ever since? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So things worked out with the, the roofing job, huh? Yeah, yeah. But the roofing job lasted two weeks. Yeah. When I got there, it was almost done. <laughs> so I had to get busy. There, there was a work boom going on at the time. I had my tools, and uh, so, you know, I just I just started calling employers, told them I'd work for free the first day, just let me prove what I can do. Yeah. And eventually I found someone that said he would actually pay me. <laughs> you know, of course I wasn't 100%. I was, you know, I'd lost a lot of weight from the drugs, and there was other issues, but, you know, I was able to, to perform. So you uh, you remarried. You met met a woman there. Yeah, I met a local lady eventually. Yeah, we hit it off. Right. How long ago was it? What, did you meet your wife? Uh, I think we're going on about twelve years now. Eleven, twelve, maybe thirteen. Wow. And uh, how did you guys meet? Uh. MySpace. Okay. <laughs> Back uh, in the day, uh, man. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, the genesis my of social Carrie. media. Yeah. My yeah. daughter Carrie, she she turned sixteen and, and my kids' mom fell into the into the drug world uh, opiates. Uh, and uh, so as her life was deteriorating, I was building my life back up. Yeah. And uh, uh did it just some time. I was able to get my shit together. And uh, when Carrie turned, <clears throat> in fact, Carrie came here the day she turned 16 and uh, uh, was able to give her a roof on her head and a stable, you know, nice and stable drug-free world. And, and uh, you know, now she has three kids, excellent husband, living in Detroit. Nice. Got off the shit, huh? Able to bring my son over and teach him my trade, and then uh, uh, Stacy, my youngest daughter, the day she graduated high school, she came over here. Uh -huh. She graduated at Lakewood, where I was supposed to graduate. Right, we were supposed to graduate. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we got. But, but was able to get her over here, and now she's got a great life, and she's still here in Hilo. On the other side of the island. Okay. Your construction, you've been doing construction since you got there then, huh? Oh, yeah. 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 Hey. I've been doing construction since, well, 80s. 80s. Yeah. Early 80s before even high school. I was helping my brother insulate underneath the houses in downtown Everett. Yeah. What a horrible job that was. <laughs> Rats and everything under there? Under some of them houses? Oh, yeah, you bet, man. I used oh. to install wood stoves for a while, and we would have to go down, you know, and and find the bottom of the flue or whatever and crawl underneath it's old 100-year-old houses and dead rats i thought i'd find a body down there when <laughs> i was all freaking out like it's horrible. horrible yeah i did roofing too i did roofing for a couple of summers i was in great shape you know all tan and stuff till i almost 
fell off a roof, but yeah. Like <laughs> construction jobs. I should have stuck with construction, kind of looking back. I don't know. Uh, but you, so your construction career kind of came to a, uh, a halt when you had some really rare kind of a medical thing happen, right, Dean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that was uh, August 2017. I blew out my spinal fluid sac. Now, how did you find out that that happened? Like, what started going on with uh, with you? Oh, the migraines. Oh yeah. Because you know when you're when you're vertical and you lose your spinal fluid, it, it, it of course it's going to come out of your head first. Yeah. So, it, so it's, my neck started eating my brain. <laughs> my brain started falling down into my neck. Wow. You know. You know, brain sag. It was just—it was brain sag. Wow. Uh, and this uh, is twenty years after using, right? Did they say that it, it could have um, been connected with meth, or not quite twenty years? But um, no, I, the doctor at Stanford—he—he he pretty much, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, was leaning towards the way of uh, maybe the car wreck. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, when I when I was got sent to the hospital after the car wreck, uh, uh, I woke up in the middle of, of the whole procedure and started freaking out. I was strapped to the gurney, I <clears throat> handcuffed to the gurney, I imagine, and uh, uh, so I started freaking out. And uh, they gave me uh, epidural. And a uh, doctor at Stanford seems to think maybe that started the whole process. But he's not really sure. Yeah, interesting. So you ended up, uh, you're going to doctors, no one's able to help. And eventually, how did you How did you end up uh, getting hooked up with the Stanford University? This is like, uh, what, their neuroscience lab down there? or how, yeah, how did that yeah. come about? How did that connection get tied up, Gene? Well, my my Hawaiian wife here is uh, an archaeologist. Okay. And she loves to do research. You give her a topic and she'll research that to the end. Right. So she ended up connecting with some other lady in Maui who was going through the same thing, who ended up at the doctor at Stanford. Wow. So my wife contacted Stanford and, you know, ended up ended up at Stanford and got my back, my got, got my uh, spinal fluid sac patched and no more headaches and I'm vertical again. Nice. But you've had some residual... Uh like damage right like uh, it's been it's been tough to get back to work or oh yeah yeah 15 months horizontal in bed wow. just to keep the spinal fluid level in my head and my brain from sagging uh so i i lost all the muscle in my wow. body so it's just been hard to it's been crazy hard to get that all back right but i ended up I ended up going on disability, so, you know, the bills are getting paid, and I'm still in Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm 
still drug free. There was no way I was going to take any pain pills that they wanted to give me. Right. You know, of course they wanted to dump all of the opiates down me, but you know, with my drug history, there was no way I was going to take any pills. Right. I wasn't going to go there again. So I did it all without pills, just stayed in bed, did what I had to do to keep the headaches down and the, the pain down and did it, did it all without pills. Now, now I'm coming out the other end. So, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about, man. Like, uh, a little bit of that since Easter's coming up, you know. We got Easter tomorrow. And uh, what about the whole, you know, because I talked to a lot of ex-addicts and, and people that have gone through, you know, the, the transformation that, that you have, you and I have, you know, getting off of something as addictive as methamphetamine, you know, for as just one of the many things guys like you and I have been addicted to. Um, yeah. Was there a kind of a, a spiritual awakening in you, like, a, you know, waking up to maybe some of that uh, monkey brain shit? <laughs> I don't know. Like, what? Do you have any? Like, do you have any god stuff going on, Dean? I guess that's what I'm. I'm after. Well, when I was when I was up on. Fire trail hell. Uh, uh, there was a lot of. I think I told you a lot of uh, 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 crazy crap happening. Almost took myself out a handful of times, and uh, so I sw- I told God to get the hell away from me out of my life. Yeah, you know, and uh, uh, totally put the blame on him. Mm-hmm. And then, <clears throat> so there wasn't a whole lot of talking to God after that. Mm. And then. Like I said, uh, I'd never been out of the state before, never been on an airplane. But when I got on that plane, I brought him back in. Oh, yeah. So, so kind of been a love-hate relationship a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, when I got hurt, when I, well, my wife wanted to say, I, I told you it was just one hole in my spine, but actually it was five, I guess. Wow in my spinal fluid sack and uh, 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 like I said they weren't sure what that was from exactly maybe the car wreck um, uh, chipped a bone in there or something and maybe it was just floating around forever and then uh, leading up to when I got hurt uh, um, I was lifting a lot of heavy weight doing a lot of heavy work trying to branch out on my own working for several different people on my own and uh, uh, just doing crazy stuff I probably shouldn't have been as far as lifting, carrying, crazy stuff. But mm-hmm. um, uh, so I'm not exactly sure. But back to the, to the question with my relationship with God, when I got hurt, kind of uh, put the blame on him again. Yeah. Kind of shut my whole life down, you know. Well, literally, you know, I was flat on my back for... 15 months yeah yeah I, I get that I can get up I can get up and go to the bathroom and stuff but the the, the as soon as I sat upright you know my brain would start sagging and pulling so that the headaches were horrendous horrible yeah so so you know I was <laughs> don't wish that crap on anybody yeah I can relate I uh and I think God, you know, in my understanding of God is that God is big enough to handle our being pissed off. 
<laughs> at, yeah. at at God, right? You know, and because yeah, I remember just a lot of times just being so incredibly angry. I remember being in a Bible study at, at Mars Hill Church in Seattle, and and this guy, you know, he kind of looks across at me and he goes, "Well, don't you know, Russ? Jesus died for your sins, and he suffered for three days, and and you know, he was tortured and and put in a tomb, and isn't that enough for you?" And I go, I got really angry. I'm like, "Dude!" I stood up. I go, "Give me three fucking days." I go, "I will, I will trade you, motherfucker, three days for my fucking life." Like, fuck you, I, and. uh and I sat down and cooled down, and and it was funny. Like everybody was like, they treated me really different after that. I mean, it was a cool. Yeah. It was kind of a hipster sort of church in Seattle, so the swear words weren't weren't so much um, a thing, but just <laughs> just my reaction. But that's how I yeah. felt at the time, right? Like that's just what was going through me. So for me to voice that and finally get that out past my lip gate, not you know, what are these religious people going to think of me? It was like you know, no, like no, this is fucking where I'm at, this is how I feel, and I heard a woman who, uh, she was also alcoholic, like, struggled with alcohol for most of her life, and she talked about that, like, being really pissed off at God, and it was kind of like, you know, she's, like, throwing this massive tantrum, and it was sort of like God picked her up and went, oh, isn't that adorable? I'm gonna put you over here now, <laughs> all right, <laughs> on a whole different path, you know, and that's kind of been my story. But I've shed just layers of religion. I've had to shed that shit over the years. Because I would I would cling to it a little bit, you know, and think that, well, I'll go back to church or whatever, or I'll start reading this book, or, you know, I'll get this translation of the Bible, because, you know, there's over a hundred of them in English. That you, <laughs> there's got to be a right one. You know, all that bullshit intellectual... And again, it's just ego stuff, you know, just trying to figure everything out figure out the mystery of the divine when there's no, you know, there's not a lot of answers out there. I think, my friend, that's one of our our, uh, our taglines for the podcast here for Punk Theology. Um, um, one really great question is better than, like, 10,000 answers. Yeah, that's good. So getting back from uh, Stanford and... Like you're up and about. Yeah, yeah, up and about, sitting upright. Yeah, moving around. You like you're still not as quite as physical as you were, but oh no, not even, not even close. Um, um, I got aches and pains everywhere now. Mostly, uh, my big toes. I think that has a lot to do. That pain's coming from the balance. So even lost muscle in my big toes. Uh, my ankles, of course, my knees. If I if I squat down too far, really start to ache, and right. uh, my shoulders. But I think that was from years and years of hanging drywall, messed up my shoulders. Yeah. And metal framing, metal framing. You're, you know, that kind of that kind of construction. You know, you're always packing heavy loads. Yeah, man. Sounds like you're you're doing a lot better than you you, you was. It right, a lot better. Yeah, and having the family out there and and stuff that's that's helpful. And what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's really struggling and and you know they've kind of gone back and forth with whether it's opiates or you know amphetamines or what would you say to someone who's like 
I want to stop. I don't know how, Dean. Run. Yeah. Run. <laughs> yeah. That's you know, good. I I never even been out been on an airplane before, and uh, uh, I came to Hawaii with twenty seven dollars in my pocket. Didn't know one person. You know. Yeah. You gotta you gotta have that one. You gotta if you're gonna you know if you're gonna go to rehab when you come out of rehab you got all those contacts on your phone still. <laughs> yeah. They're still neighbors. They're still your friends. They're still your cousins, your brothers, or you know. Yeah. You gotta you gotta leave that. Yeah. You gotta you gotta get you gotta go. You gotta go. Pink Floyd's got a good song. Run. Yeah. <laughs> just, just fucking run. Yeah. It's <laughs> don't look back. I mean, well, I don't know about not looking back because you got to look back. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I look back quite often. Well, hey, buddy, thanks for being on the show, and I'll let you get back to what you've been doing, and and it's good catching up and and seeing you. And yeah, yeah, when, right on. I'm, I'm glad it's over. The anticipation leading up to this was making me nuts. <laughs> A little bit nervous, huh? Well, yeah, I wasn't sure how I was going to react to looking at you with no hair. <laughs> I used to have a lot of hair, man. Just kidding. I had a, I had a big, great. I had a big, uh, the thing going on, the dome. Yeah, yeah. Looking to, good, though. I used to spend hours straightening it, remember that? Yeah. <laughs> it was a little curly, I had like a white man afro is what I had going on. Straighten the hell out of it so I'd look like an 80s metal guy, you know? Oh, so much fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. We'll uh, we'll talk to you later. Well, thanks right, thanks again. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe. Like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound? Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't chicken out! That's a huge bitch! I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue.